And uh, thank you, Craig, for that song. Um, it's pretty easy to speak on the back of that song. It, it summarizes everything I'm about to say. So uh, in one sense, you've, you've, uh, you've heard everything you need to hear this morning. And in another, another sense, I'll just repeat much of what you, what you sang about. So thanks for that. Um, again, just really grateful to be with you this morning. Um, we just find week after week our hearts being knit with you all the more. You know, as we get to, to meet some of you, albeit at a distance, um, you know, our hearts are just being drawn to Southside all the more. So we're really looking forward um, for the time when things opens up and we're able to just be in your homes and you being our house. Um, we're really looking forward to just into that season. But for now, happy to meet with you like this. And uh, really happy this morning just to bring our current series to a close. Um, it's, I'll remind you, it's been called Witnesses, Seeing and Experiencing the Risen Christ. And so we've looked at many different resurrection accounts of how Jesus appeared to his disciples and, uh, and basically changed their lives through it all. And this morning, we look at one particular event um, that has changed the disciples' lives in such a significant way that they would never be the same. In such a significant way that when you read their lives from this moment on, from this event on, it mirrors, it imitates what you read in the Gospels about Jesus. And this event has not only changed their lives, but it's changed the course of world history. And it's changed much and shaped much of the world that we live in today, particularly in the West. You know, when we study church history, it's so evident. There's just such clear seasons where God has made such great breakthroughs in the world through his church. Um, just seasons of, of advances in the gospel. And when one studies these advances in the gospel in these particular seasons that the church has been so effective, you, always, you can always draw it back to this one thing, that God poured out his spirit upon his people. Jonathan Edwards, one of the leaders of the, of the Great Awakening in America about 200 years ago, he said the following. He said, from the fall of man to our day, the work of redemption in its effect has mainly been carried out by remarkable, extraordinary communications of the Spirit of God. Though there is a more constant influence of God's Spirit always in some degree attending to His ordinances, yet the way in which the greatest things have been done towards carrying out this work has always been by remarkable effusions or outpourings at special seasons of mercy. In other words, God has moved in extraordinary ways through the course of, of church history, the history of this Christian movement. He has poured out his spirit. He has filled his church by his spirit in extraordinary ways, in many different ways, in many different times, in many different seasons. And these outpourings, these fillings of the spirit have been called revivals or awakenings or renewals or reformations. It's been given a whole bunch of names. But the point is this, this morning, is that Pentecost is the first of these revivals. It's the first time that God um, has poured out his spirit in fulfilling his promises as spoken by Jesus and the prophets before him. He poured out his spirit upon his people to make them effective witnesses in the world. And so, consequently, when we come to our text this morning in Acts chapter 2, you can turn there, by the way. When we come to our text and we read this event this morning, we, we do not come with, to it with, a, you know, with an academic mindset, a, a theoretical mindset that says we are studying something that, that won't happen again, or perhaps something that's unrepeatable. 
contrary to that, I want to say to you this morning, and that's basically the one message that I've got for us this morning, as God, this is the beginning, but God has done this time and time and time again. God loves to fill his people with his spirit. He loves to clothe his church with power from on high, and he loves to use them effectively in this world. And so we come this morning to this story, to this account, seeing it as the first of many outpourings and fillings of the spirit, rather than just one event. Um, you know, that we nostalgically think back on, but something that can be imitated, something that we can experience even in our day today. So Acts chapter two, let's read this together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard, the, heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and, and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of, of Libya near Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. What an amazing event. What an amazing account. Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1 it would happen, Luke chapter 24 and various other places, and this was the day that it happened. The word Pentecost, Pentecost was actually one of the Jewish festivals. It was one of the three Jewish festivals that required uh, the Jews to make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the holy city. And, um, and what it was all about, it was celebrating, it was a feast of harvest, celebrating the harvest that God had given to them. So it's quite significant symbolically that Jesus would pour out his spirit upon his church on this feast of harvest, because through the spirit, Jesus himself would bring in the harvest of lost souls into his kingdom. And at this event, Pentecost, this, this season or this feast of harvest, the, his disciples, his followers would truly become fishers of men. They would bring in the harvest through the power of the Spirit. So don't miss that connection. But this is what happened at Pentecost. Jesus, Acts chapter 1, makes the promise. He says to them, in a few days you'll be, filled, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when it comes upon you, you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. He makes the promise. And so now here in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are all together, it says. Something beautiful in unity as people seek God. They're all together waiting for this gift, waiting for this promise that Jesus spoke about. And then suddenly, an important word we'll get to, get to a little bit later on. Suddenly, they are filled with the fullness of God. And in that moment and in that morning, they are, they, they, they are full just and they experience the, the, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. 
which causes them to, to burst out and speak of the greatness of God. Their minds were filled with a fresh, new, breathtaking vision of God, and their mouths shoot open, overflowing with prophetic praise. Jesus said to, them, said to them in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses. And that's what happened here. In a sense, before this, yet they had, they had experienced the resurrected Jesus. And definitely they were witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. But perhaps that was all a little bit external. But now they've experienced the Holy Spirit. They experienced God. They experienced the fullness of Christ. Not only, not only at a distance, but in them and over them all around them and this encounter influences them to such a degree that they become the most powerful force in the known world at that time you see they experience the spirit of the risen christ they, they become not only advocates of christianity but witnesses from experiences living in the reality that god is alive but what jesus said and what jesus did it's true it's true and all the doubts that they might have had at this stage have now evaporated under the power of God. They leave this place with a new boldness, with a new fervency, knowing, and, and they're willing to pay with their lives. Because they know beyond a shadow of the doubt that that's what they're experiencing now. The, the, the power of God, being clothed with power, it gives them such an assurance that they will never look back. N.T. Wright describes what Luke is trying to tell us here. He says the following. He says, Luke clearly intends to describe something new, something that launched a great movement. As a fleet of ships is launched by the strong wind that drives them out to sea and a forest, forest fire is started by a few small flames. He intends to explain how it was that a small group of frightened, puzzled, and largely uneducated men and women could so quickly become, as they undoubtedly did, a force to be reckoned with right across the known world. Now, there's not much to say, friends. As we look at this passage this morning, there's much we can say. And um, as Craig mentioned before, at some stage, Southside did do a whole series on the Holy Spirit. We could do a whole series just on this particular text and delve into so many different aspects. But what I want to do this morning is, is um, almost do a bit of a, a continuation from where we left off, or left off last week. And in, in through that grit, then explain a, a couple of helpful things to us this morning. Last week, we saw from Acts chapter 1, we saw, and I've mentioned it already, but in, in verse 4, 5, and 8, Jesus says to his disciples, he says to them that in a couple of days, they need to stay in Jerusalem because in a couple of days, they will be filled with the Spirit. They'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says that when this happened, they will receive power and they will be his witnesses in all of these areas. In other words, you had the promise, you had the power, it's a promise of power, and you had the witnessing, the power was for witnessing. And this led us last week to conclude that perhaps a helpful definition is of when we speak about this baptism of the Spirit is to say that in essence what it is, is that being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person who's already a believer receives an extraordinary spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministry. And so that's where we left off last week, is with this ending with this definition. The essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person who's already a believer, though it's a Christian, a follower of Christ, receives extraordinary spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministry. 
I want to use this definition this morning, almost use it as a grid or a pair of lenses to then go back to our text this morning and just to make a couple of observations in our time together. Firstly, first one is this, that the disciples at the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were already believers. They were already believers. They were already followers of Christ. They had already been united to Christ. They already had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And we can make quite a bit of a case for this. We know from John chapter 20, even before the ascension, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. They had the Holy Spirit. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, one of my favorite scriptures, it says this, it says, whoever doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. Whoever has, doesn't, you know, whoever doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Make no mistake about that. And these were, were believers. These were, these were men and, and women who had followed Jesus, who had the spirit of God dwelling within them long, long before Pentecost happened. What is, it, what is perhaps a, a stronger case for this is Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. The text we're studying again this morning has got nothing to do with conversion or, or, or new birth or being united with Jesus, but everything to do with being empowered for being effective witnesses for Jesus. In other words, it's not about salvation here. It's about being empowered for ministry, for being effective instruments in the hands of Jesus through whom he continues to speak and continue to do in the world today. In other words, when Jesus says in, in Acts chapter 1, he doesn't say to them, stay in Jerusalem. God's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you'll be converted or you'll be united to me, you know, or, or you'll, be, you'll experience a, a new birth. That's already happened. No, no, no. He says when the Spirit comes, he will empower you for effective witnessing. One more perspective we can take on this or one other angle we can cover. And uh, Craig sang about that so beautifully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul, used, Paul uses a similar language. He speaks about the word baptism or baptized, which, which can be confusing. So let me take a quick moment just to, to, to clarify. So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13. It says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. What Paul is talking about is new birth. It is conversion. It is being united to Christ and to one another by the spirit. So Paul and Luke use the same word, but they're using it in different ways. Paul is saying we are baptized by the spirit into the body. Luke is saying we are baptized into the spirit. You see the difference? We are baptized with the spirit on Luke's side, but we are baptized into the body on Paul's side. Don't get confused with the wording. In a way, perhaps this morning, it'll be helpful for us to say what Luke is speaking about when he speaks about baptism in the spirit is you could use the word filled. Because in Acts chapter 2, when it happens, he says they were all filled with the spirit. And this filling this clothing with power from on high, it's something that we see right through the book of Acts. It's something that we see right through church history. But Paul is saying on the plus side of that is when you are a Christian, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. John Stott, one of my favorite preachers, says the following. Listen to what he says. He says, without the Holy Spirit, 
In other words, the spirit of God dwelling in our hearts in the way that Paul's speaking that we receive at, at conversion, at new birth. He says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without, without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart, apart from his fruit. And no effective, effective witness without his power. As a body without brain, a brain is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Friends, let, let me quickly apply it to us. Here's the point I want you to pick up. All of us, as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 12. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, in our lives, changing us, conforming us, changing us to the image of Christ. But there's also a sense that we need to come before him and say, God, Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Will you clothe me with your power to be an effective instrument for you? Let's get back to our definition. So the first thing, the disciples were followers. They had the spirit, but yet there's this, there's this clothing of power that came subsequently to this. And that's been coming ever since. The second aspect of this definition I want to just use as we look at our text this morning. It's a receiving of extraordinary spiritual power. Extraordinary spiritual power. We touched on this somewhat last week. But we see it's not about new birth or conversion here that Luke speaks about. He speaks about a spiritual power for witnessing. I just love the word. If you go to verse 2, the word suddenly, I mentioned it earlier, the word suddenly is such a, such a game changer for me here because it tells me that the Holy Spirit will not be controlled. He will not be manipulated. He comes when and as and however he chooses, decides to do. He is sovereign. He acts in free will. He will not be manipulated. He will not be told what to do. But he comes as he chooses and as he sees fit. He is God. He comes suddenly. And this suddenly, we'll pick it up now from a different story also. But so many of these accounts where God comes and he just fills his people in new and in fresh ways, it happens suddenly. I want to tell you the story this morning, just in the context of this receiving extraordinary spiritual power about a man called D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, an American man who lived in the 19th century. Now, some of you might have heard about him. Let me see if you raise your hand if you've heard about D.L. Moody before. Excellent. I can only see five people and two of them raised their hands. So that's a good start. So Moody was an American man, but he wasn't very effective you know, in terms of his ministry in America. It's actually when he went to Europe where God used him most powerfully. But listen to what he says. Just forget about that quote for now. So he had a church in Chicago and he was preaching week in and week out, but there weren't much results. But he was faithful and he walked with the spirit. But one day, two ladies in his front row approached Moody and said, listen, Moody, you need to be clothed with power from on high. You, you need to be filled with the spirit. Yes, you've got the spirit. But you need to be filled with the Spirit so you can be an effective witness. And uh, Moody got kind of irritated by this. And he said, look, they kept nagging. You know, whenever he preached, he would see them in the front row just praying for him. And he would get a little bit irritated by this. You know, rather listen to my message than pray for me type of thing. But eventually one day he said, listen, I'm as dry as a bone. And my ministry, not much is happening. And so he agreed to, to meet with these two ladies for an afternoon of prayer on a Friday afternoon. They prayed together and said, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit? And 
not much happened. Not, not, nothing you know, significantly happened on that particular day. But as he went away, the weeks later, something of a burden, something of a hunger got stirred in his heart. So he continued to pray for this. And that is what I'm hoping will happen with you this morning. May I just create some sort of hunger and thirst for more of God in your life. But Moody left that prayer meeting. And for, for a number of weeks, he kept on praying this one thing. And listen to what he says on one day. Just as he, um, his church burned down in Chicago, he went to New York to get some funds. And now listen to what he says happened there. Just while he was just crying out to God for the spirit. He says, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were no different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. I, I would not, uh, not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. You see, Moody knew he had the spirit. He walked with the spirit. He lived with the spirit. He grew in his knowledge of the spirit. But he kept on praying and said, God, I acknowledge that I have you. I'm growing in my love towards you. I acknowledge your fruit in my life and where you are at work. But will you please fill me with your, with your power? Will you make me more effective um, to do the things you've called me to do? And God comes and he meets Moody suddenly. He clothes him, clothes him with power from on high and changes his life and the, the effectiveness of his ministry. Are you with me, friends? Are you picking up what I'm trying to say? It's a pretty simple sermon this morning. And the fact is this, what I'm trying to communicate to you is there's, there's always more for us in God. We are to be so dependent upon him. Walk with his spirit. Yes, we have him. But also pray and say, God, will you fill us? Will you empower us to be more effective in your hands? Now, let's move on. Last point. The third aspect of this definition is not only power for power's sake. And this is where we get it so wrong sometimes. You know, we, we ask for the spirit, but perhaps we, it's, it's to make us look good. To make us perhaps look effective, you know, I mean, it would be great if I could preach and hundreds be converted. And in a sense, it can so easily become about us. But it's not about us. We pray for the Spirit. We ask for the Spirit to come, but to come for Christ-exalting ministry. You know, I can refer to the Welsh Revival, start of the 20th century, where police lost their jobs because there were no more crime. You know, there was such a revival. God came in such a way through the preaching of the word and in many other ways that people were so convicted, became such radical Christians that there were no more crime. You think about Azusa Street later on that's fallen over to America or the 50s, the Hebrides. We, we, we had started with two old ladies in the 80s praying that God would come and fill their pastor. And he did. And all of that, friends, all of those empowerings that we speak about, they were all, they all led to Christ-exalting ministry. People being changed, people encountering Jesus, living their lives following Jesus radically. And that's the same thing. As we read Acts chapter 2, we see Peter gets up, starts preaching after this happened, after the Spirit came, and they were filled with the Spirit. And we just see the results. We just see the impact. People, it says men were cut to the heart. I mean, these were devout Jews. They didn't come to Jerusalem to be converted to some, some Christian movement. 
As a matter of fact, they just killed the leader of this movement. Yet now Peter stands up, he starts preaching, and it says they cut to the heart. They say, brothers, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 men are added to their number. Just incredible power for Christ-exalting ministry. It's for being a witness. It's for being an instrument. I'll finish with this. I'll just give you quick snapshots of what happened after Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to go to Acts chapter 13. There's much more. But listen to this. This pattern. Acts chapter 4. They fought with the Spirit again. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks with such power that the Jewish leaders were amazed about his boldness, knowing that he's relatively uneducated. In the latter part of Acts chapter 4, again, the disciples were praying in the place and it was shaken and they were filled with the Spirit again. The effect of the fullness of the Spirit, that they, it says that they spoke the word of God with extraordinary boldness and Christ-exalting power. Acts chapter 6, Stephen, he is filled with faith. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with power. He, does, he performs these wonders and these signs by the power of the Spirit. And then in verse 10 of chapter, of chapter 6, it says that when he spoke to these leaders, he gave account, he gave testimony of Jesus. It says that they couldn't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Christ-exalting ministry. Acts chapter 9, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes to, the, he goes to the, Damascus and speaks to the Jews. And it says that they are confounded by what they are hearing. Just the, the power of the spirit confirming what's being said. Acts 11, Barnabas, the same thing. Acts chapter 13, Paul again, the same thing. Just the power and the presence of God in his life in a way he hasn't experienced before. Confirming the message. And so this brings this morning, my, my message is quite simple. This is a topic we can, get, we can complicate. And as I said, we can spend a whole series on it. But my message is simple this morning. I want to stir something in your heart to realize that Pentecost wasn't just a once-off. Yes, it was unique. It was the first coming of the Spirit, something we've never had before in the history of, of redemptive history. It was unique in that sense. But in another sense, it was the first of many outpourings of the Spirit, the, the filling of the believers. And so I want you to know this morning that we too need to be crying out for more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, we have him. We walk with him. We obey him. We grow to love him and know, know the fellowship of the Spirit. But we also need to be praying day and night and saying, Lord, please fill me for what you're calling me to do today. Amen.